Is forgiveness a vital part of the marriage relationship? Is it a big part, small part? Big, right? I talk to um, couples who are dating in college, and as we talk about that, it's, it's fun to listen to them as they walk through this chance, talking about marriage. Should we get married? Should we not get married? And as they're working through these questions, and as they work through this relationship, I've had some actually say this. Well, we do argue quite a bit right now while we're dating, but as soon as we get married, we won't argue anymore. <laughs> right? You're just going to have to laugh at that going, really? Are you really saying that? I mean, and they're so, so it, it, they really think that. And then I've also talked with couples and as you're talking with couples and they're working through their marriage and, and they're newlyweds and they're talking about, well, we're just kind of working through struggles right now. But you know what would fix it? A baby. <laughs> I'm telling you, a baby's not going to fix it. And then, you, and then you keep walking through and you're going, okay, now, now well, maybe once you hit 10 years, I've had a couple say that. Well, once we hit 10, 10 years of marriage, we're not going to fight anymore. 10 years, really? 20 years. And then, then, then there's somebody, like, well, once we get the kids out of the house, that'll be better. Does it ever stop? Not necessarily, does it? Conflict is always a part. And here's the reason why. Conflict is a part of any relationship because what you have are two people who are unique and individual, and both of them are sinners. And because both are sinners, you're always gonna have conflict in the middle of relationships. Now the question becomes, how do we actually move beyond the conflict so that it becomes something that's a positive for us? And that's where the word forgiveness enters. There was a pastor who was preaching about forgiveness and how important it was. And what he wanted to emphasize was that forgiveness was so important that it, you have to forgive like Jesus has forgiven you. We've read that verse and we've talked about it. So at the end of the marriage series, he handed out crosses and he said, I want everybody to take the cross and I want you to put it into the room where you argue and you fight the most, where the most conflict happens. Take that cross and that every time you argue or fight and you see that cross, it reminds you, oh yeah, we need to forgive and we need to forgive like Jesus has forgiven us. So he hands out the crosses and afterwards, one of the ladies said, I didn't get enough. I need five. There's at least five rooms in my house. Ah, wherever that conflict happens, what we want to talk about today is how do we walk through this so that it brings glory to God and so that it actually brings you closer as a couple. Ephesians chapter five, you have your Bibles, please turn with me. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back of the pews. You will also be putting it up on the screen in just a moment so that way you can follow along. Now, just so we're clear, we walk through this passage for the last couple of years, Ephesians 5. We've used it as our, our starting point. We've walked through different parts of this. And what we typically like to do when we talk about marriage, we like to have those hands-on practical aspects so that we can walk away and we know, here's, if I do these five things, my marriage is gonna be better. If I do these five things, we're gonna have a better love life. If I do these five things, my wife will feel like she's, she's loved by me. We have all these different ways in which we, how to fix our marriages. And if you're needing some of those, just so you know, the last couple series, the last couple years, as we walk through Ephesians 5, I've actually had a little bit more application driven towards those type of conversations. But this series, because what we're dealing with in Ephesians 5, 25, 26, and 27, is driving us to the core of foundational principles so that you apply it to your life. And when you apply these to your marriage, it actually branches out and it becomes the foundation for everything else. So last week, if you were not able to hear last week's message, I want to encourage you. It's about purity and about the how and why of our marriage in which God has called us to a higher purpose than just about being happy. 
that he's actually called us to holiness and how the marriage is designed to, to move us beyond just happiness into holiness. And when we go to holiness first, then happiness actually is a byproduct. But if you go after happiness first, what you'll lose is the holiness and you'll actually miss out on the happiness because you cannot find happiness based on things. So if you did not hear the sermon last week, I wanna encourage you, go back, listen to it. All of our messages are free so that way you can check those out and and listen to them again and again. Today, Paul is gonna walk us through an incredible concept. Cleansing, forgiveness in the midst of conflict. Ephesians chapter five, please stand for the reading of God's word. Here's what the Bible says, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her. We talked about that last week. Here's the phrase that we're looking at this week. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your blessings. God, I am so thankful for the opportunity together with other believers to sing and to praise your holy name. God, I thank you for those who have served our country, who have given us the opportunity. They purchased this right that we have, the freedom that we have by serving and fighting. And we want to say thank you for their lives. Thank you for their families. God, I do pray now that as we dive into this moment, I pray that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would have freedom to move and to work, to interact. God, you know what we're dealing with. You know what we're struggling through. God, right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister in such a profound way. That God, you would give us the ears to hear. And that God, when we hear those words from you, that today we would be willing to apply it to our lives so that we walk out of here a different people because we've heard from the Almighty God. We're asking all these things in Jesus' precious, precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. May be seated. All right. If you have your, your bulletins, if you draw, uh, pull out your bulletin, there's an insert in there. And I'm going to have a lot of blanks that we'll be walking through in just a few moments, and we'll be filling those in, and you can follow along and work through this. All right. So the, the phrase that we're looking at is having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It's a strange verse. It's a strange wording. How in the world am I supposed to cleanse my wife? Does that mean I have to actually, you know, make sure she takes a shower? I mean, that's kind of weird, right? You know, hey, babe, did you take a shower tonight? You smell. How do you have that conversation, right? And, and, and so we got to begin looking at this conversation saying, okay, wait, what is Paul going after? Paul's going after something, and it's, it's very fascinating. He says, by the washing of water. He talks about washing. Now, let's be honest. How many of you washed your hands today? Oh, good. I'm glad you raised your hands. I was getting a little nervous. <laughs> you were a little slow on that. Most of the time, we, we wash our hands. And Paul uses this metaphor, this symbol, because washing occurs more than one time, doesn't it? It doesn't just happen once. It occurs over and over again. More than likely, you've taken at least one bath or shower this week. Right? You have at least done it once or more. And because that's the process. You go through a day, you get dirty. That's just a process. It's a constant washing process. And the reason that's important is because this, conflicts are normal. Conflicts are going to happen. And because conflicts are going to happen, you're going to have to have a normal process for how do you get clean and how do you work through it. So Paul says, we're going to wash, and it's a cleansing. And he says, washing by the water. Now, interesting. 
water in the Old Testament, New Testament quite often, there's a symbolism to the Holy Spirit. You cannot be clean unless the Holy Spirit is in the midst of the relationship working in each heart. Just so we're clear, the cleansing actually takes place because God is working in the heart, convicting of sin, and you are responding to the Holy Spirit saying, yes, I'm sorry, and you're getting in line with it. It's the Holy Spirit movement within the relationship. You try to have forgiveness or you try to just walk through conflicts without the Holy Spirit being present, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna consistently become, you're gonna get somewhat through the relationship, somewhat mended, but you're not gonna fully go through it because in marriage, it's gonna take the Holy Spirit doing a massive work in your life. And here's what's interesting. Here's your first blank. He ties it to the water. He ties it to the Holy Spirit. And here's why. Your spiritual life is intertwined. It's connected. It's intertwined with your marital life. Have you ever thought about this? Your spiritual life is intertwined with your marital life. Now watch. Quite often, here's how we play this out. I'm a good Christian. I went to church. I read my Bible sometimes this, a couple times this week. I serve in the church. I'm good. But the person you're sitting next to, your spouse, you've had a major fight and you're not talking to. You've ignored for several days this past week. And here's what the Bible's saying, and here's what Paul's moving us towards. Your spiritual life actually is intertwined. As a matter of fact, Paul keeps moving us on this. He says, your, your relationship with God is actually hindered and halted by your relationship with your spouse. Just in case you've never heard this before, let me show you another person who talks about it, Peter. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, Peter is the guy, if you remember, as a... As a um, Fisherman, he's a hot-tempered man. Do you remember this? He's, he's a hot-tempered. He would say kind of whatever he wanted to say. And so Peter, he begins to teach about relationships, which is fascinating in his book, First Peter. And here's what he's talking about. He talks about marriage and husbands and wives. And here's what he says in verse 7. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Look down and here's what it says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of of life. Now watch, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Have you ever read that? Have you ever stopped to think about that? That when, when I'm not in a proper relationship with my spouse, with my wife, it actually, it doesn't matter how much I'm serving. It doesn't matter how much I'm doing for God. It doesn't matter how much I've read my Bible and it doesn't even matter how many times I prayed that when I'm not in a proper relationship with my spouse, it's put a lid on it and I, my spiritual life has been halted and stunted. I am not moving forward in my relationship with God and my prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back and they're hindered. Have you ever thought about this? Quite often, here's what we want to do. We think we're okay. Hey, look at all the other things that I'm doing. And yet we are willing to let our spouse and this conflict just sit there and just sit there and breathe and get worse and worse. How do you handle conflicts? There are different ways in which people handle conflicts. Some people, when they get frustrated or get mad or get hurt, they blow up like a volcano. Just, have you ever met somebody like that? They blow up and man, they just, they just spew out junk everywhere. And then afterwards they feel great and everybody else is feeling terrible. Maybe there's some that are, that are like this. They, they, when there's a conflict, they actually, they, they just it, it, hold it all in. 
and they just begin to mull over and they just, oh, they just, it just hurts, but yet they don't ever, ever get it out because they don't know how to get it out. There are others who, in their process of conflict, they just act like it never happened and they ignore it and they walk away and they don't want the conflict. And what we're wanting to do is this. We all have a tendency in which we like to handle conflict. You have your tendency and you need to know what your tendency is. You need to know what your spouse's tendency is. And then here's what we wanna do. We wanna move beyond that and move into a place in which we begin to understand and feel the cleansing power of the conflict. That's hard because quite often what we want, what we do instead is this. We would rather have a good conflict, we'd rather win than actually go through the cleansing aspect of the conflict. Some would actually say this, you know what? I'm so tired of relationships, it it hurts too much. So I'm just tired, I'm not even gonna, I've been hurt, been burned by love, so I don't even wanna give my heart anymore to anybody else. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says this, if you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe or in the casket or a coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, end quote. There's a word I wanna speak just to make sure for those of you who have worked through marriage, you've had major conflicts in your life and you've been hurt and marriage has actually ended in a divorce. It's ended in just a brutality of, of a relationship where you don't feel like you could ever love again. Here's what I want to encourage you. You don't wanna leave your heart there. You're gonna need to learn how to move beyond and it's with this word of forgiveness. It's with this word of the Holy Spirit coming and washing and working and doing a work in your life so that you move beyond that hurt and pain so that you go beyond so that you become what God has called you to be. For others, what we need to begin to ask is this, how? How do we work through this conflict? What is it gonna take? There was a couple, uh, two couples who went out for a meal at a restaurant and as they were, whoops, as they were out in the, it's pretty quick, wasn't it? Just trying to show off my skills, my mad skills, man, quick hands. All right, we put that down for a second. <laughs> Woo. Now, there was a, a couple, uh, two couples that went out for a restaurant at, and they were talking about marriage and one of the couples brought up this marriage counseling. They said, hey, marriage counseling has been fantastic for us. It really helped us walk through the problems and what we were working through. And the other couple said, we've never been through marriage counseling. Our marriage is fine. And they go, well, how do you do that without it going to marriage counseling? How, how do you have such a great relationship? And the wife simply said, well, John was communications major in college, so he, he communicates really well. And I was a drama major, so I just act like he, I'm listening. We're great. <laughs> How do you handle the conflict? How do you handle this? You move to this next step. Because what I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to build for you. How do you move through the conflict? And one of the ways in which you handle conflict is this. You have to be able to answer what you truthfully do when you see the sin and the weakness of your spouse. How do you handle, how do you handle when you see the weakness of your spouse, the sin of your spouse? 
Listen, it's a powerful and a dangerous thing when you are actually interacting with someone and you see their sin and you see their weakness. It's a dangerous and a very powerful thing because quite often what we want to do is you see people in couples, when they see the sin in somebody else, what they do is this. One, cu- one of the spouses will end up using it as leverage to gain power and to manipulate. You always do this. Somebody else will try to shame when they see the sin of their spouse, they'll try to shame and control by shaming, saying, I can't believe you would do it like this. I can't, and it is just shaming them to get the other person to come alongside. Maybe part of the way in which you handle the sin of your spouse is that you just bring it up over and over again. The sin of your spouse, how do you handle it? Do you just ignore it? Do you actually hold it in such a way that it represents and it demonstrates and displays the gospel to your spouse and to the kids and to others. Maybe you do it like this. You see the sin, you see the weakness of your spouse and you can't wait to share it. You can't wait to share it at work. You can't wait to share it with everybody. You can't wait to to go to the beauty salon and share it down there. You can't wait to share it on Facebook. Oh, can you believe what my husband just did? Can you believe what my spouse did? How do you hold the sin of your spouse? You need to be able to answer that very honestly with yourself. Because what we need to do with that sin and that weakness is we need to learn how to move from carnal conflict into cleansing conflict. And the way you move from carnal conflict into cleansing conflict is understanding that it's gonna take more than just saying, oh yes, we're good. It's gonna actually take you moving to this next You see, the next phrase, it says, washing by the water with the what? Did you see the next phrase? With the word. With the word of God. Marriages are transformed, not by a new self-help book. Marriages are transformed, not by Oprah. Now, I, I get emails every time I say something about Oprah. So I like saying it just for fun. I like Oprah. She's got some good things every once in a while. She's a great humanitarian. But, She ignores the word of God. Are we clear? I don't think Dr. Phil can fix your marriage. Here's why. Because all you're doing is you're transforming your behavior and your outward actions. The only way a marriage will truly radically be transformed is by one thing, and that is the word of God. Boy, for Baptists, that should have been a great place to say amen. Your relationship, the person, the way in which you're going to be transformed. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. What does it talk about? Don't don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how does that work? It's, It's as you begin to align yourself with the word of God. It's the word of God. And it's something that you're going to have to move beyond. Now, help, listen. Just because you've read the Bible seven times this week does not mean you aligned yourself with the word of God. Did you catch that? If we're about making Pharisees, then you did a great job reading your Bible seven times this week. You're not transformed just by serving. Because there are many times you can serve with the wrong attitude, wrong heart motives. You can serve out of duty and obligation. But here's what will happen. If you and your spouse would radically commit 
to aligning yourself, your actions to the word of God. And that means that you're going to obey. That means you're going to really work through it. What will begin to happen is your relationship will become transformed and it will become God honoring. And you'll begin to experience that dream marriage that you always wanted. But outside of the word of God, outside the alignment with the word of God, your marriage is doomed to just keep going from one self-help to the next self-help and you'll never break the cycle. Does that make sense? Okay, now watch what we need to do now. So we now need to move into a cleansing conflict. Let me give you steps. I've got a lot of notes in your outline so you can fill these in, so you can write these down, look at them. In order to move to the cleansing conflict, we have to have a groundwork. We have to have a boundary. We have to set the parameters for the conflict. And in marriage, here's what I want to encourage you. And as college students, as you're dating, as you're interacting, here's what I want to encourage. These parameters need to begin to be set in place because this is where the foundation of your marriage will rest when it comes to a conflict. These parameters to say, this is what we're about. This is what we're going after. It's an understanding and a commitment that I make to my wife. It's an understanding that she makes to me. Watch, ready? Number one, here's the groundwork. The presuppositions in which we live by, it's A, number one, a deep commitment to the relationship. When I married my wife, there was a deep commitment. It's a covenant commitment. A commitment in which she knows no matter how bad it gets, the words will never come out of my mouth, I'm leaving. Because it's a covenant commitment. And she needs to hear it, and she needs to know, and I need to hear it. I need to know no matter how bad it gets, no matter how deep the conflict goes, there's a deep commitment to not walking away, that this is a priority in my life, this is a priority in her life. Now, the problem occurs is if there's a deep commitment on one spouse's part and not a deep commitment on the other spouse, right? So as you begin to lay this out, as you begin to work through your marriage, you have to walk through these foundations way before you have the conflict, if you're trying to work through this in the middle of the conflict, that's not gonna work. She's mad, he's mad. You're both saying things that you don't wanna be saying and somebody says, fine, I'm just leaving. Wait, 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 the foundation, you remember that? Don't do that. That'll just escalate the fight. These are commitments you have to have before the conflict. Number two, recognize the recognition of a need for a mirror. Now, Ladies, men, we understand. We need mirrors in our life. I mean, it takes a long time to look as good as we look this morning, right? Took you at least 30 minutes, I hope. Maybe some of you are just that darn good looking, I don't know. But it, it takes you a while to at least get ready. Now, here's, here's the biblical movement, ready? The word of God is actually a mirror in our lives. And when we read it, when we hold it up, and when we see what it does is it reflects our heart and who we are. And here's the commitment. Here's the foundation, ready? For me, I have blind spots and I have weaknesses. And there's a willingness to say, I recognize that I am not perfect. And because I am not perfect, my wife has the liberty to actually hold up the word of God and say, Heath, I don't see this in your life. And I don't get to get mad about it. Now I will be mad and then I have to work through it. But there's a commitment when she holds that mirror up into my life. There's a commitment that I have already made that when she holds it up and when she says, Heath, I'm, I'm seeing something, I need, I, we need to talk about it. When she holds the mirror up, there's a recognition saying, Heath needs this. 
I want this. I welcome this. So Jamie, you have full access to be able to share with me. Does that make sense? Quite often, we don't want to give our spouses that opportunity because we would rather be thought of as perfect. And in our own minds, we do think that we're perfect. And we usually think it's our spouse who has all the problems. Don't elbow her. It's who we are. Number three, foundation. The foundation, ultimately, ultimately, I desire and she desires what is best. I desire what is best for my spouse. I want her to succeed. I want her to win. She wants me to succeed. She wants me to win. And at the end of the day, I know that even when she brings up something negative in my life, she's got my back. I know that she's on the team. I know that she, she wants what's best for me. And when you have that commitment from the very beginning, the harsh words or those, those words usually come down and usually it makes it a lot easier to walk through the conflict because I know she's on my team. I know that we're together. I know that she wants what's best. Ultimately, she wants what's best for me and I want what's best for her. So it makes the conflict change the dynamic very quickly. Number four, fight the urge to go negative, hostile, extreme, or bring up things of the past. Fight the urge to go negative, hostile, or extreme. It's a commitment that I've already made. It's a commitment she's already made. So when we get into a conflict, if somebody's going hostile, if somebody's going negative, if somebody's talking about things that happened five years ago, guess what we know? If somebody's bringing up the past, if somebody's bringing up and they're going hostile, you can mark it down. They're not controlled by the Holy Spirit. You can mark it down. That's just who it is. They're bringing up things of the past. They don't understand forgiveness. They don't understand grace because they haven't lived it and they haven't been walking in it. They're being controlled by bitterness and that root of bitterness has grown deep, deep inside their heart. So there's a commitment for us to go there to say we're not gonna go negative, we're not gonna let that be a part. Number five, God is glorified when conflicts reflect the gospel. And I will walk us through the gospel in just a second. There was a couple that, uh, they were in the middle of marriage counseling. As they were in the middle of marriage counseling, they were talking about conflict and they were talking about pain and frustrations. And the counselor asked the wife, have you ever felt threatened? She said, yes. Have you ever felt like he was gonna hurt you? Yes. Have, have you ever felt like he was going to maybe harm you? Yes. She starts crying and then he, the counselor goes, have you ever thought your life was in danger? Oh, yes. The guy next to, have you ever thought about killing your wife? I'm thinking it right now. <laughs> Counseling works sometimes, yes, sometimes no. So here's what I want us to do now. You ready? I want you to see the gospel played out. Because in my personal life and in my marriage, I want the gospel played out. I want it reflected in my wife's life. I want it reflected to my kids. A conflict, a cleansing conflict, works very simply like this. Let me give you the breakdown. It's a conflict. First of all, it happens. That's your first blank, conflict. There's a break in the relationship. There's a break in the relationship in some way. I hurt her, she hurt me. Something we did, an action, a word said, there's a conflict, there's a break in the relationship. And there's an understanding in her heart and in my heart of James chapter four. Where do all conflicts come? James chapter four, verse one and two. All conflicts come through our selfishness, our own desires and our own lust. So when I have hurt her, when she's hurt me, when there's a conflict and there's a break in the relationship, there's an automatic understanding in my mind and in her mind that there's selfishness going on. Now it could be intentional or it could be 
on accident, but it still hurts. There's a conflict. Number two, confrontation. Here's how confrontation works. There has to be an exposure of the hurt. At some point, there has to be an exposure of the hurt. There has to be a talking. There has to be, hey, babe, this hurt. Hey, this, when you said this, when you did this, there has to be, in the confrontation, there has to be an exposure of the hurt. And here's what it's going to require. It's going to require humility on both parties. Here's what I mean by that. The person who's actually confronting has to be humble enough to approach it in a way that hopefully it can be heard. You know your spouse's hot buttons, right? You know, if you said it at certain times, maybe you even know the time of day. If you say it late in the evening, it's usually not gonna be good. Maybe it's an early morning conversation. And then you have those early morning conversations. Whenever it is, you know the buttons. And so it has to be a humility on your part to actually come and walk and actually come in the right method, the right words, in the right, right way. Without hostility, without anger, coming and approaching in humility. The person who's receiving it has to be humble enough to say, I could be wrong. They have to be humble enough to not get mad and have to be humble enough to actually receive it. They have to be humble enough to even next part, move to the point of reconciliation. You ready? Reconciliation. Here's what happens in reconciliation. Grace is extended. A true apology is offered. What do I mean by a true apology? A true apology has to be this, where the person actually says they are sorry for their part. If you say, I'm sorry, you feel that way, you missed the apology. You actually have to say, I'm sorry for my part, my responsibility, I'm sorry. And the apology also has to have the repentance part. The willingness to walk away and say, I'm not gonna do that again. Have you ever had one of those apologies that were given and the person said, I'm sorry, that I hurt you, I'm sorry that you're hurt, and then they walk away and they, they have no intentions of changing, that's not an apology. There has to be a, an intent to change, to walk away, to do something different. And then the last part is this, forgiveness is now able to be offered and received. Now watch, it's the gospel played out. Human relationships, you, me, We are confronted with this point. There's a conflict. We have sinned. We've offended a holy and righteous God, right? Conflict. Then now God confronts and God says, wait a minute, because you have sinned and you've offended a holy, righteous God, you can't get to heaven. You can't actually be in my presence. That sin must be paid for because you've offended me. And now there's this break in the relationship. We cannot interact with God. God doesn't interact with us because there has been sin. There's been a break in the relationship. God's confronted saying, you must pay for it or either reconciliation. God says, I will offer grace. He sends Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Grace is offered. He says, if you are willing, I will offer. And what it requires is repentance. We have to repent and say, God, I'm sorry for my part. And because we take Jesus as our Savior, now we receive forgiveness, and now we're made right. It's the gospel played out. It's the gospel played out in our relationships. Now, what we want to do is this. We want to move from the cleansing, or from the carnal just fight, into that cleansing. And what we have to be is we have to remind ourselves over and over again, it's the gospel being played out. It's the forgiveness. It's the reconciliation. It's the confrontation done correctly. Now, 
I understand there's probably some in this room who've had to deal with a difficult spouse, a difficult marriage. And I want to take just a couple minutes and I want to give you about four or five things. It's on this next part, dealing with a difficult spouse. As a pastor, this is one of the most difficult things is to walk with people who have gone through and as they're going through divorce, as they're going through pain and suffering, the marriage relationship is one of the most vital relationships, but yet at the same time, there's some of the deepest, darkest pain when there's conflict in such a way because there's hurtful and you're destroying and you're ripping apart and you're ripping hearts. And so if you're dealing with a difficult spouse or maybe you have a friend who's dealing with a difficult spouse or maybe you have a colleague, a work colleague, or maybe it's a a relative, let me give you these points of walking through and helping somebody who's dealing with a difficult spouse. Number one, do what's right. It sounds incredibly simple, but it's one of the most difficult things to do. Do what's right. When somebody is sinning against you and they're hurting you, do what's right. Listen, two wrongs don't make a right. They wrong you, you wrong them. It doesn't make it right. That's a great little, you could use that for your kids. That's parenting advice right there too. Two wrongs don't make a right. Do what's right. Do what's right and you trust God with the consequences. It doesn't matter how wrong they're hurting you and how much pain they're causing. Do what's right and you trust God with the consequences. Number two, keep your quiet time a priority. Our tendency in the midst of difficulty, our tendency in the midst of conflict is sometimes we get mad at God and we say, God, where are you? Why didn't you show up? God, this pain, why, did, why are you allowing this in my life? And there's a tendency to run from God because God's not showing up in your life. There's a tendency to even remove yourself from church. And I want to encourage you, don't remove yourself from church. Don't remove yourself from God. What you need most in the midst of the conflict is God's presence. So don't run from it. You're right. There might be times as you open God's word and you're praying and man, it's in the midst of the difficulty and it seems like God is far away. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and it doesn't mean that God's not there. Stay there. Don't give up your quiet time. Don't give up the time with God's people. Number three, focus. Focus on what God is trying to teach you personally. Your focus in the midst of a conflict, the focus in the midst of dealing with a difficult spouse, your focus will quite often be this. He did this, she did that. You're gonna focus on all the negative. And what I want to help you begin to move and transition towards is this. You cannot stay focused on the negative. You have to begin to ask God, God, in the midst of this pain, you have allowed me to go through it. You're wanting me to go through it. And in the midst of this conflict that I don't want in my life, in the midst of this conflict that I wish never happened, what are you trying to teach me? If you stay focused on them, you stay focused on the negative, you're gonna miss what God is trying to do in your own personal life. So you have to begin to transition from the negative to say, God, right now I need you and I need to learn what you're trying to teach me. What is it? Number four, pray, don't nag. Pray, don't nag. Don't nag your spouse. I'll be real honest. You cannot change your spouse. And especially if you're dealing with a negative spouse, you can't change them. You can't force them to do what's right. You can't force them to love God. You can't force them to do anything. So pray, pray for them. And here's what the Bible actually says. It says, pray for your enemies. Did you hear that? 
And in the midst of a difficult marriage, it might feel like your spouse is your enemy. So you pray for them. Well, Heath, what am I supposed to pray? Should I pray that God, you know, just removes them? (laughs) Well, you can. And there's a good chance that that's where you start. You read the Psalms, there are times in which David is even saying, kill my enemies, get rid of them. But here's what I will show you, and here's what I promise will happen. As you begin to pray for your enemy, and it might start off extremely simple, and it might start off, God, you told me to pray for him, so I'm praying for him. And that might be all you can get out. You pray for them. God, you told me to, I'm just praying for them. And you start moving, and as you start working, as you get into it, as you begin to pray, the longer you begin to pray, the the more days that go by that you're praying for your spouse. Here's what God begins to do. Because you're taking that step of faith and you're praying for your enemy, God begins to do a work, not necessarily in their life, but he begins to do a work in your life, and he begins to radically transform you. So that now, instead of hate that you have for that enemy, now you begin to have love once again for that enemy. He does a radical work. So prayer is more about changing you than necessarily changing them. The last thing on difficult marriage, set the example for godly living. Set the example. While the fruit of the Spirit is not, being coming, is not coming at you, you set the example, you live, and you let the Holy Spirit work through you, and you set the example, you live the way God's called you to live. You can't control your spouse, but you can control your actions. You are responsible for your actions, no matter how wrong it is. Now, We've walked through the difficulties, the cleansing. We've walked through difficult marriage. And here's what I wanna say as we walk through this and as we finish up, nobody in this room is immune from conflict in their marriage. And it doesn't matter if I'm as a pastor and it doesn't matter what line of work you're in. Nobody is immune from conflict. It's going to happen. There was a preacher named John Wesley I mentioned several weeks ago and I talked about how that he made this statement that marriage would not even slow him down by one sermon. That's a pretty brass statement, isn't it? He said, I'm, marriage is a, it, my priority is not marriage. My priority is doing this work for God. He was married in 1751. He's married to a lady named Molly. And his marriage was extremely rocky and it lasted till 1758, seven years. The last few years of her, their marriage, she would sit in the audience right in front and she would make faces at him as he preached. <laughs> that makes me laugh. I've had people make faces at me. I've had people make, you know, try to distract you for fun. And I've had a couple of people who just don't like you. So, you know, you, they like to make sure you know it. And so whether it's an Oprah comment or whatever it is, you know, you know, it just so, but this is his spouse. His wife is sitting there making these comment, uh, faces, the comments, and he would say something and he'd go, oh, and she would make all kinds of gestures and everybody in the audience knew what was going on. Their marriage lasted for only seven years. Here's the difficulty. It is easy to have a carnal conflict. It's easy. Just just let her fly. But if you want a cleansing conflict, it's gonna take your work, it's gonna take your spouse's work, and you can do it. Where you end up after the conflict in a much sweeter relationship because the Holy Spirit did a work. And what I want for you and what I want for me is I want you to be able to enjoy the benefits of a cleansing relationship where God is glorified, the gospel is preached so loud to your kids that they're not running from church, but they're running to this gospel and to this love. And they say, wow, if my parents can handle conflict like that, that's what I want. 
where your neighbors, where your coworkers say, seems like you guys never have problems. And then you can say, oh, you should be in my house. We have all kinds of conflicts, but here's how we've walked through it. And it's the gospel that makes the difference. I want you to be able to enjoy that precious relationship. And it only happens as you cleanse daily through the Holy Spirit, the washing of the water by aligning yourself with the word of God. 